Hi, and welcome to Minor Notes, the podcast where we share... Wait, that is that you? No, that's you. That's me? Yeah. Have I always said the second line? <laughs> that's a, yeah, literally every time. Okay. okay. Hi, and... <laughs> Welcome to Minor Notes, the podcast where we share our thoughts about an album from top to bottom. No skips, and we give some minor notes. That is Kate Griffin. And that's Gabby Alvarez. Welcome. If you're new here, Gabby is a music business professional, and I'm a songwriter. And this entire second season of Minor Notes is dedicated to the discography of Foo Fighters. That is right. And today we're going to be discussing the band's sixth studio album, Echoes, Silence, Patience, and Grace. Um... Before we get into this, did you know that the Foo Fighters made a horror movie? Oh, uh, I, I heard about it, yes. And I know it was released, I want to say this summer, right? Recently? I watched it last night. Oh, God, did you? <laughs> is, it wor- is it good? <laughs> I don't know if that's the right question. <laughs> it's watchable. Okay. It, it's about 30 minutes too long. Okay. Yeah, they seem, you know, we've we've heard from the songs. Sometimes they don't know when to end things. Yes, and the movie is like, they're in a house, they're recording their album, and they don't know how to end this one song. I love this premise. And so this song goes on for like 40 minutes. Wow, meta. Life imitating art. (laughs) Yes, and kind of like the movie too. I'm like, this movie never ends. The song was never ending. Sometimes their songs never end. Sure. It it was... (laughs) But it was really funny. Okay, good. Like really funny. Oh, good. But definitely like a low budget horror movie. Like you can see when they do like something bloody that it's like a dummy head. Oh, oh God, I love that actually. I love it. <laughs> it's you should watch it. It's called Six Six Six. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. really like honestly, like the acting was not that bad. Right. <laughs> And it's it's them, right? It's basically it's all them. them. It's all they're the main characters, and they're like the ones who are. One of them gets the house is haunted, and one of them gets possessed. Okay. And basically, like the other ones are trying to figure out how to exercise their friend. I feel like this is also loosely based on that story in his memoir about the haunted house he lived in. Yes. So I wonder if he was like inspired by that. I feel like he was inspired <laughs> by that. And also Tenacious D and was like we're going to make a movie. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> like there's also like such good cameos. Of course there would be because he, they're fucking friends be. with everybody, but like the cameos, whatever somebody comes on screen you're like, "Oh, wow." <laughs> well, he also and I think I meant to bring this up a while ago, but the timing never felt right. He makes a cameo in the new uh, Bill and Ted. Oh, really? Yes. It's literally like maybe four seconds, but you're like, oh my God, he's there. The, long story short, they end up in his house and then he comes home and he's like, what are you guys doing here? And that's literally all that happens. <laughs> but I got so excited when I saw him. I was like, this is amazing. But good to know. I definitely yeah, am going to add that to my list. I feel like what we should do, you should watch it. Yes. And we should do an episode where we just talk through the entire thing. Because, like, a scene-by-scene breakdown of this movie... (laughs) It's worth it. It's so worth it. (laughs) 
It was only an hour and 45 minutes long and still 30 minutes too long. It's still 30 minutes too long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. We should do that. That should be the finale. All right. So it's just you and me today, KG. Yes. Just us. I'm, uh, I'm fine with that. I'm actually. I really liked this album, so I'm excited that it's Yeah, what a journey this was. Um, All right, so should I get into the history? Yeah. Okay, so we're coming off of In Your Honor, which was the two-disc Smorgasbord. Smorgasbord, (laughs) yes. We had the rock stuff, we had the acoustic stuff, and when they toured that album, they played acoustic shows and electric shows, which I found to be really interesting. And Like like back-to-back, or how do they do that? Or like separately, Okay. Because Dave, uh, you know, was talking to Clive Davis, very famous American record producer like you do. And he was just saying, you know, I wish we could be the type of band that played both types of songs in one show. And Clive was like, you can just do that. Yeah, like, why can't you? (laughs) I guess he thought they couldn't. So Dave was like, wow, you're right. So when they went into writing this record, they didn't want to repeat what they did with In Your Honor. But what they did was they just wrote a bunch of songs and picked the best of the best, whether it was acoustic, whether it was electric, whether it was both. What a great idea. I know. I was (laughs) like, um, Clive's great and all, but I feel like maybe you didn't need him to tell you that. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But Dave was quoted as saying, um, the demos ranged from psycho fucking no means no to sloppy tom petty country to fucking piano driven songs so they, they just wrote whatever they felt like writing i love that love it, it sounds that way it definitely does and because of that approach they had to treat this very differently from the last three albums they needed someone to push them out of their comfort zone so they went back to working with gil norton who produced mm-hmm. uh, the color and the shape mm-hmm. and from wikipedia there's a quote that says norton taught the band of the importance of pre-production and refining the composition and norton's unconventional approach seems to capture the best of this band so whoever wrote that for wikipedia that's their opinion i can't say i disagree yeah so when they started writing what they did what they usually do which is dave and taylor developing some demos but for the first time dave started writing vocals and lyrics at the very beginning normally and i think it was pretty obvious uh from the first couple of albums he saved that until the very end lyrics were not super important to him and that's he would just very throw them obvious in. yes yeah. So he made that a huge part of the beginning of the songwriting for this album. He mainly did that because I found a quote from him saying after the acoustic tour, he realized that, quote, we were making music worth listening to rather than music made for pummeling the person next to you. So he wanted to, quote, have a connection with the crowd in front of us. And he decided the way to do that is focusing on the lyrics, most of which deal with birth, death, life. He said that he sat in the studio and sometimes wrote lyrics for about 14 hours a day. So he really put a lot wow. of time into this. And I think you can tell that. I think you can tell, yeah. Yeah. So after, of course, he finishes up the lyrics and the melodies, he worked with Chris and Nate uh, on composition. Grohl then spent two weeks with Norton just discussing arrangement, harmony, melody. And then they rehearsed the shit out of the songs. Hawkins was quoted as saying, we basically played each of the songs a hundred different times, trying every little thing every different way. And it was also the first time that Dave wasn't really in charge previously when he worked with the producer Nick Raskulinix, who we never really know how to say. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Ras- I don't know. Rasky. Rasky. That guy. Nick Rasky. Rascal. Uh, guy. He was usually very, very laid back, but Norton was not. And so Dave was not holding the reins for this the entire time. On this record, Dave wanted to, quote, make everything sound as natural as possible, just like the albums we grew up listening to. So some of the inspiration was Neil Young, the band Wings. Um, And additionally, for the first time, Chris is playing some lead guitar. 
Until now, he was only playing rhythm on the recording, so now he's getting some leads. Uh, They've started recording in March of 07 at Studio 606. That's Dave's studio at his house in Virginia. Um, The sessions wrapped up mid-June, and for the first time, the band did not feel like they had to re-record anything. That is something that has happened on the last two albums, for sure. They weren't happy. They went back, redid it. They did not do this. After the release of this album, this is really interesting, in October of 07, the band went on tour to promote the album, and they had one of their biggest performances in history at Wembley Stadium on June 7th, 2008. Mm. So their manager at the time, John Silva, was like, do you want to play Wembley? And Dave was like, I don't know if we can do that. Like, it's an 85,000 seat stadium. And they were very nervous about it. They had already felt like they were the biggest they were ever going to get. But then they figured, okay, we'll give it a try. They sold it out two nights in a row, which is massive. The second night, they had Jimmy Page and John Paul Jones come join them. Uh. Um, and in the on that second night, after they got off stage and before the encore, apparently Dave came back out on stage and just screamed, this is the biggest day of my life. So <laughs> he was hyped about it. Um, and until recently... No, Sir Paul. Sir Paul uh, didn't make an appearance. Wasn't there? So we can ask him how he felt about that maybe one day. But um, <laughs> When he's on. When, you know, when we have him on, his people are getting back to us. Uh, so... You can, this was turned into a DVD, um, but in 2020, uh, you can watch it on YouTube. I think you have to pay for it in in its entirety, but you can still watch separate clips of the performances uh, on your own. So this was huge for them. This album, this tour, this was a major turning point. Got it. And that's kind of like why they went to Wembley for this Taylor. Exactly. And I was going to say for our millions of listeners, uh, Gabby and I record these episodes beforehand. So today is the 10th. So the Yeah, so it just happened last weekend. Yeah, it was just last weekend. And my husband was asking, why Wembley? Why there first? Why not the US first? And to me this makes a lot more sense. Yeah. yeah. Um so special place for them. And short story, uh this is the first tour I saw them on. Oh, nice. Yes. So I have a funny little story about that. So James and I uh, were dating for about a year at the time. And he's like, you want to go see the food? They're at Madison Square Garden. It was their first stadium tour. So I was like, sure, let's go. So James drives into the city. We park the car. We go get food. And at the time, I was an undergrad art student. We ran into an art store. I had to get some stuff. And he's like, let's put it back in the car so we don't like carry it into the place. I'm like, sure. Car's gone. Car's gone. And I'm like, did you are you sure you parked on the street? Like, what's going on? He's like, I swear to God, I parked right here. Turns out he parked in front of a church, and he got towed. Oh, you can't do that. Yes. Yeah, you can't do that. So we had a decision to make, and we had, like, two hours before the show, and he's like, listen, we can go and try to get the car now. We might miss some of the show. Or we can go to the show and go get the car, but it might be, like, 1 a.m. Like, I don't know what that place is going to be like at that time. Like, I don't know what you want to do. So we decided to go first Took a couple hours. We got $300 later. We got the car. I've gotten towed in New York. That shit is expensive. I was like, oh, man. Uh, But we got it, and we parked in a garage, and we walked in as Foo Fighter was playing, like, their second song. Nice. Yeah, so we did pretty good, and only recently, I had researched the heck out of this to find out who we missed. Like, who were the openers? Who did I miss? And, of course, at band practice, Sean knew off the top of his head from the 2008 Foo Fighters tour who, I was like, you're a wacko. Like, how do you know this? And apparently, it was against me and Serge Tankian from System of a Down. He was doing, like, solo stuff at the time. Oh, So, you know, personally, I'm not really a huge fan of either one, so I survived. Not a big deal. 
But uh, I survived. I survived. <laughs> so that's my my Foo Fighters story. It was it was crazy. It was crazy, but it was a fantastic show. It was amazing. It was that's amazing. awesome. And at MSG, which is a MSG. great place to see. That's a great place to see in arena tour. It was uh, it was awesome. and we had decent seats. Like it was good. It was a good night. Ended up being a good night. Could have been a disaster. Um. All right. Echo, Silence, Patience, and Grace was released on September 25th of 2007 on, of course, Roswell Records via RCA. Um, The album is noted for, as you said, a blend of regular rock and acoustic tracks. Um, There's a lot of variety of styles that are employed on this album. Uh, It's also the second time, as you said, the band worked with Gil Norton. Mm -hmm. Dave brought him on to fully explore the potential of his compositions. Mm. He tried to grow, Dave tried to focus on songs with messages that resonated with his audience and writing a lot of reflective lyrics that drew inspiration from the birth of his daughter. The critical reception to this album was mostly positive. A lot of praise to sonic variety and songwriting, though some people thought that record was inconsistent which i disagree with mm. uh the album chopped the tarts in the uk australia and new zealand and austria which is weird it didn't chop the tart chop top <laughs> i was gonna say you said it again. chop the you tarts said that. chop the tarts <laughs> first time around top the chart yes. it's weird that the u.s isn't listed on here but i oh, digress weird. Okay. It was also nominated for five Grammy Awards, and it won Best Rock Album. It also won a Brit Award for Best International Album. Oh. So very critically lauded, and, uh, you know, lots of trophies for this one. Okay, cool. All right, well, let's jump in. Track one is The Pretender, written by the Foo Fighters um, and produced by Gil Norton. Yes. Okay, so The Pretender was the first single released August 21st, 2007. It also features the section quartet, which is uh, the, the strings that you're hearing. They're based in L.A. and they perform covers of rock songs. First thing I thought of was the intro is very reminiscent of like a Led Zeppelin epic kind of feeling and you already know i mean even if you're not familiar with the song it feels like you're gonna go somewhere huge lyrically i feel like this song is so badass i think this is the first time there's a story kind of to yes. follow in his lyrics and i feel like this is about someone finding their villain arc like it just makes oh me so God. excited at first i thought it was like an underdog song but if you really listen to the bridge where it says i'm the voice inside your head you refuse to hear i'm the face you have to face mirroring your stare. I'm what's left. I'm what's right. I'm the enemy. I'm the hand that'll take you down, bring you to your knees. At that point in the song, like this person has become full villain. Like that's Mm -hmm. it. And I just love it so much. I feel like it would be great in a movie. I don't know if this has been used in a movie, but I just see like the montage of someone like pumping iron and like getting ready to, for battle. Great combo of singing and screaming. He's actually singing underneath the screams the first half and then the second half he's singing on top of them it's just a very nice blend total gut punch perfect first track i actually love this song too because my brother who's going to be on the show next week is mm-hmm. 10 years younger than me and when he started playing bass i taught him how to play this song and we were playing oh, it cool. together and because the timing of the bass is not the same as the guitar and i was trying to show him like they kind of feed off each other so i just have a nice little memory there but interesting facts about this song from foo archive he says 
The album took us about a month to record. This was recorded toward the end of the session. I had a melodic idea and just went ahead with it thinking the album needed a four minute blast of rock. We fucking threw this together in an hour. It's the sort of song that this band is all about. It's not Bohemian Rhapsody. It's a basic four part rock song with a Chuck Berry breakdown in the middle. I love it. And that's the perfect description of what this is. Yeah, I am. Funnily enough, when this song came on, I sat there for a minute and I was like, we haven't done this album yet. Like, I felt like I we had already covered this song. Mm. I don't know what about it felt familiar to me to the albums we've already covered or if it was just like, oh, I fucking love this song. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. All that being said. This song goes hard. It's so like so hard. Such a good opener for an album for this album in particular. Like it makes me want to get in a mosh pit and I'm 36. <laughs> yeah. Same. I want to beat the shit out of someone. Yeah, and I'm 36. Like, I'm not going to do that. That's not happening. But yeah, I love this song. Great opener. Um, Like, the the guitar... On this whole album, I think the guitar parts are, like, out of this world. Yeah. Just, like, every way that they layer them together is perfect. And, yeah, this song just out the gate is perfect. I love it. So good. All right. Track number two. Let It Die. Let It Die was the fourth single, June 24th, 2008. It actually features Pat Smear on guitar. We remember Pat. Mm -hmm. And also Drew Hester on some of the percussion. He's an American percussionist, and he has worked with Stevie Nicks, Beck, Jewel, Chicago, Lisa Marie Presley. And we've got uh, Rami Jaffe on keys. He was on the last album. Um, So initially, I was not sure about the song. I wasn't really ready for a pretty track at this point. It starts Mm. off very pretty. His voice is beautiful, though. And in between his singing parts, there's the whispering in the background that kind of sets you up for the buildup that's coming. Yeah. Once the harder part kicks in, I'm 100% in. This song becomes outstanding to me. And this is, you know, them doing what they do best. Two different types of songs, totally opposing sounds, meshed together. Yeah. I do think it is placed well in the track listing, despite my hesitation initially. And just a little bit on Pat Smear. Like I said, he's a guest on this. He was in The Foo from 95 to 98. And he was quoted as saying that recording this track was the oddest recording experience I had with Foo Fighters, given that he had no input into the composition. Uh, He was going in and he was just playing a song that was already written. So for him, that was kind of weird because he used to be a part of the songwriting process right yeah from song facts it is said that this song is about courtney love and it refers really yes it refers to her dragging kurt into drugs um and ultimately being the cause of his suicide he's you know the why do you have to go and let it die line leans toward that a simple man and his blushing bride why do you have to go and let it die that's it oh. so dave was quoted as saying it's a song that's written about feeling helpless to someone else's demise i've seen people lose it all to drugs and heartbreak and death it's happened more than once in my life but the one that's most noted is kurt So he's confirming this, basically. Um, He says, there are a lot of people that I've been angry with in my life, but the one that's most noted is Courtney. So it's pretty obvious to me that those correlations are going to pop up every now and again. So I think he's like confirming, but definitely confirming it's about Kurt, maybe backpedaling a little bit that it's about Courtney, but also saying, if you want it to be about Courtney, it can be about Courtney. I think at this point, he's just like, whatever you guys think. Kind of. <laughs> kind of. Like, he didn't I want, want to, to admit it for the drama, but he's also like, wink, wink, we all know what this is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think it's also, like, something, like, you just don't want to comment on over and over and over. So it's like, whatever you whatever. Well, you he's just think. feeding the monster at that point. Cheeky. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So I had the same reaction where I was like, ooh, this is slow, mm-hmm. and I don't know if this is right, but 
I hoped, I was like, I hope we're building up to something really good. Yeah. I thought as it started getting, as we started progressing into the song, sonically love it. Mm. The instrumentation is great. I hate the lyrics in the chorus. They're oh. just like repetitive and yeah. stupid. Yeah. Why do you have to go and let it die? Why do you have, like over and over and over and over. I just like, I didn't like that. Okay. While it did, like, go somewhere and build to something kind of explosive, mm-hmm. I thought this one was safe. I thought it was kind Ooh. of safe and a little generic, and I wasn't... This, to me, I could hear it on a previous Foos album, and I was like, okay. But like, I like it. We're not but growing, like, though. We're not growing, mm-hmm. and I wanted something a little... I wanted to hear something different after The Pretender. Sure. So not a bad song okay. at all. Okay. It's a good song, but just it was just strange for me, placement-wise. I hear that. I hear all that. That all makes sense. Yeah. Mm. All right, track number three, Erase, Replace. Erase, Replace also features keys from, from Rami Jaffe. When do... Do Rami and Pat rejoin the band later? They, they do. They do. It's okay. coming. Yes. For this track... I really wanted to like this song, but there is something about it that just doesn't work for me. I have gone back to re-listen a few times, and I can't really pinpoint it. I do think there's a lot of power and building, uh, but similar to some songs we've talked about in the past, it kind of comes in at a 10 and it stays at a 10. There's not Mm -hmm. a lot of dynamic here. I agree. It does sound the most like what is happening on The Color and the Shape. It just doesn't sound like they've improved on that sound with this song. I think okay. that, like, the bridge part the most, there's this kind of haunting vocal, and the note changes are really interesting, but the bulk of it I'm not a fan of. From Foo Archive, Dave says, I still listen to Kill Em All once a week, and there's a part of me that will never lose the love of those riffs. That's where this song comes from. As a drummer and a guitar player, the rhythmic quality of a decent riff is like a canon to me. I can write riffs all day long because I look at the guitar like a drum set. So just as I'll sit at a drum kit and play beats, I'll sit with a guitar and try the same thing. That's what I was doing here. So that I thought was very interesting to think like playing guitar with the brain of a drummer and hearing the song that makes sense. I just don't love this song. I don't, I don't think it was to me is like the weakest one on the album. Yeah. Okay. I think that's fair. I felt like, uh, this slapped right out of the gate. Oh shit. Okay. <laughs> um, but I, he, I, it, it comes in at a 10 and it does stay at a 10. You're totally right about that. Okay. But I, I like the way how sonically it came in, like, full force. Sure. But, yeah, the minute he said, attention, pay attention, I was like, yes, sir. Like, I'm in it. Um, I also, he changed up his his vocal pattern, um, like the the rhythm in which he's singing in, mm-hmm. in the pre-chorus, mm. which I, I found really interesting. Okay. And I just like liked that, like that also kept me, it kept me paying attention, even though this song was at a 10 the entire time, which I usually hate. Right. So that, just that little change felt like it was different enough and like hooking me in enough to find this song to be very cool. I really like this song. Okay. All right. But fair. If it, if, you know, it doesn't do it for you, I completely understand. I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah. I can't, you You can't can't force it. Yeah. You can't do anything. (laughs) All right. Track four, Long Road to Ruin. This was the second single released December 3rd, 2007. Uh, We got Drew Hester again with the percussions, Rami Jaffe on keys, and also Oliver Allgood on the lute. I believe that's what you're hearing when the song starts. This feels like a road trip song. Yeah, that's what I wrote too. I feel like I just want to get in the car in a convertible and just like listen to this over and over again. Uh, I think the verses are kind of weak, but the pre-chorus and the chorus are so good. He is really leaning into his pop 
sensibility here big time. There is something about this, and I have tried all week to figure it out, but I can't, that makes me think of the band Fastball. Do you remember that? Yes! Oh, Kate. <laughs> we have the same note. Oh my God, do we really? Because I was like, I debated even putting that in because I can't explain it. I don't know. It doesn't sound like a Fastball song. But it doesn't. It, it just doesn't. makes me think of I, Fastball. I wrote Good Road Trip song and it sounds like a 90s jam Matchbox 20 Fastball <laughs> question mark. <laughs> That's it. That's it. But, like, not. But also but not. But also not. Also, like, maybe a little Tom Petty-ish. But I'm hearing, like, full-on 90s road trip. That's yes. what I'm hearing. But then when I think of the 90s rock, I'm like, I think of grunge and Nirvana. But that's not what I mean. No, not that. Like, ra- like, like top 40. Top 40. 90s rock. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a cute yeah. little bop. I really like the song. And from Foo Archive, he says, I wrote this while we were on the acoustic tour in 2006. In order to have a song like Let It Die or Erase Replace, which are darker and heavier, you need something lighter. Yeah. He says, I grew up listening to the Beatles and the Beach Boys, and I love writing simple melodies. You can almost dance to this one. And there aren't many Foo Fighter songs you can do that to. And I agree. I love that. Yeah. yeah. I really like this is this was one of my favorites. I like this one a lot. I mean, I have nothing else to add. You said Same absolutely everything. I love we, it. We nailed that we one nailed. together. <laughs> All right, track five, Come Alive. Come Alive. We got Drew again, percussion, Rami on the keys. Um, initially, I did not want to listen to this all the way through. Kind of like with the second track, we were coming in slow, but it like the slow part was longer. I do enjoy that it grows to become something more intense, but I felt like we already got that with Let It Die, and I feel yeah. like Let It Die was a better song. I wrote this, and I might get a lot of shit for this. At the end, it gets a little butt rocky. I kind of feel like a Nickelback fan would choose this as their favorite song on the album. So sorry. It was so rude. But I was just kind of like, you already did this on Let It Die, and it's so much better. From Foo Archive, he says, on the last album, we split the acoustic side and electric side into two albums. Here, we're splitting it into one song. So so that was a cool approach. Um, He says, this is about reawakening after becoming a father. Anyone who's a father understands how the world becomes a different place when your child is born. I just feel and see everything differently now. And when I read that, it took me back to episode three of season one with Cassine when we were talking about songs about babies. <laughs> and this isn't exactly a song about a baby, so he gets a pass. A song about yeah. fatherhood to me. I mean, I'm not a father. Don't plan on becoming one. But I understand <laughs> wanting to write about that. So it's not exactly a song about a baby, but I still got like the corny, weird vibes of like, ugh, like just not... I wasn't here for it completely. I uh, we're on the same page again, oh so it's two tracks in a row. Wow. I wrote "Asleep Early On." Yeah. <laughs> I I had to stop listening to this song. I paused it halfway through Ooh. because I was like, "This it's dragging." Ugh. But once the acoustic guitar comes in, like I, I start getting slightly interested. Okay, the buildup overall was great but i did almost decide to completely skip this song i had to pause it and then start it again i was like i have to start this from the beginning and like give it a chance yeah i I, overall i don't i don't hate this song i like it Mm -hmm. i like that it doesn't explode into like the right moment and for something that was this acoustic and slow the right moment happens to be very much closer to the end which i think isn't is fine okay but you're right that it is very nickelbacky though i think the foo fighters tend to do this at the right 
time in a song. Like, they mm. know when to cut the shit and finally start shredding, okay. which is great. Right. And, uh, like, I, I like it. I, so far in the track list, uh, this was my favorite. Wow. And I hated it when I listened to it. Oh I have to go back God, and listen to it again. What a transformation. I know. I know. I don't know how to feel about that. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I did I did almost fall asleep. Or, like, we were on Oof, the same page. Yeah. And then I gave it another chance. Wow. They won you over. It won me over. My goodness. All right. Um, <laughs> sorry, I forgot. It's my turn. Yep. Uh, <laughs> it's early here. Yeah. I just want the listeners to know. Sure. We started recording at 7 a.m. my time. Yeah, I'm yeah, on yeah. the Pacific Coast. It's early. So, uh, yeah, it's early. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> track six, uh, Stranger Things Have Happened. Uh, on this one, Grohl has the solo writing credit. The way this starts instantly grabbed me. I think I was more curious than anything else. It didn't, like, hit me and I love this right away, but I was like, wait, where are we headed? The chorus of the song is, might be one of my favorite choruses of all the Foo Fighter songs we have heard so far, truthfully. Between the lyrics and the melody and the guitar, I it's just perfection. Mm-hmm. And the lyrics are, you were not alone, dear loneliness, you forgot, but I remember this. Oh, stranger, stranger, stranger things have happened, I know. Lyrically, it's it seems like it's about the end of a relationship. He's saying, I can change to who you want me to be. From Foo Archive, he says, I spend a lot of time in silence. I spend a lot of time alone in hotel rooms. I really don't do a hell of a lot on the road. I've been touring for a long time, and hotel rooms all begin to look the same after a while. This is just a product of sitting around and doing fuck all for weeks on end. It's, it, it sounds way more beautiful to me than just that. Maybe that means he's that talented. But uh, from what yeah. I gathered online, Hawkins really didn't like this song. He was quoted. Really? Yeah, he was quoted as saying that he could not listen to Stranger Things Have Happened because, quote, I am one of his best friends, and the last thing I want to do is read a love letter to his wife or whoever it is. That's kind of fucked up. <laughs> kind of harsh. I was like, whoa. Like, what else do people write songs about? I, like, Well, that made me curious women. about, like, I never listened to Hawkins' side project. It must all be like, let's get fucked up and party. Like, you must not yeah, have any like, introspective. Well, and know. no offense to Taylor Hawkins, oh, may he rest in peace, but his side project did not do well. It did not do well. It did not. So I don't know. I was just like, damn, he's your best friend, bro. Like, if you don't like it, just don't listen to it. But to say that, I was like, this is a little harsh. But this stood out for me. I don't think I had heard it before this, before really listening. And I just love it. I think it's kind of weird, but it's unique in a beautiful way. And I'm a huge fan of that song. Yeah. Yeah. I also really like this song. I didn't, I figured it was just Dave, um, but I hadn't looked up all the writing credits mm-hmm. until after I listened to this. Sure. The guitar strumming after the first chorus, I really enjoyed. Mm. I also loved any of the supplemental acoustic riffs that were happening. Yeah. Like, it was just, like, very fucking cool. Mm. And I wrote the little solo. So cute. So cute. <laughs> I like this one. This this is a cute one. Such a good it. one. All right. Uh, track seven and probably the best song title to ever exist in the whole world. Uh, Cheer up, boys. Your makeup is running. Yeah. This is the third single released April 7th, 2008. Again, we've got Drew helping out on percussions. I think this is great placement in the track listing. I was ready for a rock tune at this point. 
It feels like good old foo. That's what I wrote. Just like what you're expecting. What good you're old familiar foo. With. Good old foo. <laughs> all reliable. Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. The bass lines are so cute and dancey. Nate is working really hard on this one. He is all over the place. And I think he really captures the poppy nature of the song. If you listen through to just the instruments, he's doing a lot of that work. Uh, Dave was quoted from Foo Archive. For this song, it was a working title that stuck because that was a song that we had demoed and it sounded like this really bright, poppy, late 80s REM song that would have been off of their Green album or something like that. I just thought that was funny because being in a band, sometimes you have a working title for a song, like something goofy. When I was an old band of mine, we used to have a song we called Pajama Jam just because we didn't know what to call it. And then we had to actually name it something, but we all still called it Pajama Jam. So (laughs) just the idea that they left it on the record, I think is funny. And then from Wikipedia... Uh, It says, amidst the number of heavier tracks and themes, Grohl decided to include Cheer Up Boys, Your Makeup is Running, uh, described as, quote, the most lighthearted melodic song of all, which seemed like a little ray of hope in the middle of all this despair. And I agree with that. Yeah, I um, I, I thought, again, I felt this one was a little top 40 90s. Very. As well. Um, So I don't know why we're exploring that, Dave, but I'm really a fan. Yeah. In, in 2008, no less. Yeah. 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 Uh, I loved the bridge on this one. Mm-hmm. And I, I just noted, I mentioned it earlier, but I specifically noted uh, that at this point on the record is when I was like, the guitar on this whole album is kick-ass. Sure. It's so good. You do hear it in this one. Yeah. And again, like on title alone, this should be the best song to ever exist in the whole world. Yeah. <laughs> It's just, just based such a on good the working title. title. We love it. Yeah, we that's it. sometimes like how I buy wine. Yeah. Like a label alone, this has to be the best wine I'm ever going to drink. And sometimes it is and sometimes it's not. But this one... Same for me with book covers. I know you're, you're literally yeah. not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but if it's got a shitty I cover, do. I'm not reading it. I yeah. Absolutely. I agree. <laughs> you can find a good graphic designer. What happened? It doesn't take... It's not that hard. Yeah. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> all right, track eight, Summer's End. Summer's End, we got Drew helping out on percussion again. This one, hard Tom Petty vibes. Yes. I, this could have come right off of one of, his, one of his albums, and I would have believed you. I would have been like, oh, yeah, I've heard this before. This is Tom Petty. Um, I love the chorus of this song. I think the harmonies are so sweet and pretty. The chorus, uh, the first part of it is, meet me in the summertime, we can move the air. Sweet Virginia countryside, I will meet you there. The instrumental break is giving me a little bit classic southern rock. And even in the solo, mm-hmm. I was hearing little bits of Freebird. I was like, oh, shit, are we going to go somewhere huge with this? He reels it back in. Uh, we have, like, the same notes. Continue. <laughs> this is so crazy. Um, I just thought it was a really cool choice at this point. From Foo Archive, he says, this one's unlike anything we've done before in its swing and swagger. I just had a simple riff and melody, and I ran with it. It just feels good to play. And Hawkins, man, and this part made me sad. Taylor's got a pretty uh, slimy groove on this song. I guess slimy is a good thing. He's got a slimy groove on this song. I'm so (laughs) lucky he's in my band. I swear to God, I don't know what we'd do without him. He's such a great friend and mentor and, of course, an incredible drummer. And I swear to God, I had a single tear roll down my face when I copied and pasted it into my notes. I was like, fuck, that sucks. Oh, so sad. Oh, Biggie, I know. It's upsetting. (laughs) But he's like, no, no, no. Um, so we kind of have similar notes. Uh, no. This one kind of twangy. I felt a little Americana Tom Petty vibes, Very. like Willie Nelson vibes, yeah. and like, uh, like it wasn't like you're like he's not smiling when this song is happening. He's more like 
whatever whatever genre of country they put Willie Nelson yes. in that one. That one. <laughs> that genre. What was it's like rebel country? Yeah, something like that. Sounds It's gonna come to me because that's not the word. But anyway. Okay, we'll, yes. we'll revisit. Um I felt like this was like a really interesting like we go somewhere completely different sonically, right? Like it's like a different genre that has not really been explored, like a sonic palette that the band has not really done before. Sure. And for some reason it works on this it's album so and amongst this track listing. Mm-hmm. Like it didn't I feel like in the past when we've listened to any any album where they experiment with a track and a sound and like it's a little bit different than the rest of the album, mm-hmm. it's an immediate no. Right. This just works so well. Whatever they're doing is working so well. I really, really like this one. This one's real good. Real good. Track nine, Ballad of the Beaconsfield Miners. All right, so this one also has Grohl as a solo writing credit, and it's Uh featuring Khaki King, who is an American guitarist and composer known for her percussive and jazz-tinged melodies. She uses multiple tunings and uh, and plays acoustic and lap steel guitar. I have never heard this woman before. I went on... That is fucking cool. The deepest YouTube dive I've ever been on. She's outstanding. So that's going to be my afternoon when we're done with this. Okay. I thought this song was such a nice palate cleanser. I was not expecting it. There are no lyrics. It's just an instrumental. Um, And apparently when Khaki King uh, was invited, Dave invited her, she went to Studio 606 and he later said that, quote, I showed it to her once and she shredded it 10 times better than I ever played it. This is, according to Wikipedia, the Foo Fighters' first instrumental song. They have never done this before. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I Okay, so the opening guitar, I was like... It gave me, like, Taylor Swift Evermore vibes. Oh. And then, like, Mumford and Sons, but without the banjo. Whatever band that is. Yes. I know that, like, <laughs> I knew that it sounded like some band. Sure. But I was like, I can only describe it this way. It's accurate. And for, like, whatever, yes, the first in- instrumental track we've ever heard from them. It was so good. I was just like, why do I, why is this perfect? Again, it's similar to the tr- the previous track. Like, this shouldn't fit here. This, this yeah. shouldn't be a song that this band can pull off to put on an album. But it's so good. It's so good. Do you, and do you know why they wrote it? No, tell okay, me. Okay, so I have a story. Uh, so, quote <laughs> from Foo Archive. He says, about a year and a half ago. Now, mind you, this is like back in the... 0708. There were some miners that were trapped in a mine in Beaconsfield, Tasmania. I remember this on the news. I remember this happening. After a few days, the rescue team made contact with the guys and asked them if they could get them anything until they were able to rescue them. One of the miners asked for an iPod with our last record, In Your Honor, on it. Brandt, one of the miners, came to see us when we did the acoustic tour at the Sydney Opera House. And the night before the show, I thought that I should write something to dedicate just to him that night because he definitely seemed like a hero. He gave me a gift that no one had ever given me before. He made me feel like my music is maybe more meaningful than just jumping on stage after five beers and having lasers chop your head off, you know? Um, he says, so I felt like maybe what I'm doing is a good thing for people. So I played that acoustic thing and after the show got fucked up in the bar and I promised him I'd put it on the record. And on that song, it's me and this guitar player. He introduces Kaki King, who is the most fucking shredding guitar virtuoso genius America has to offer. She's fucking unbelievable. So he wrote it specifically for this dude who was stuck in that mine after that they requested so their cool. album. I was like, this is so 
beautiful. And he promised him. He said, this will be on our next record. I promise you. And that's why it's here. And I honestly feel like it's appropriate for this record. If this had appeared yeah. on any other record, I'd be like, this sounds weird. This sounds weird and forced. Like, so no, forced. this song is good. It's good. But what a cute little, cute little story. I love that. Love that makes me very happy. Yeah. Yeah, I love this one a lot. A lot, a lot. Um, and for no lyrics, this might be one of my favorite, like, top... I put it in my top ten Foo songs. Wow. Yeah. My it's fucking good. It's really good. And I'm not, like... I like an instrumental, a short instrumental. Yes. Like, I can't listen to a jam. And that's yeah. what... When I realized there were no lyrics, about maybe, like, a minute in, I yeah. was like, oh, there's not going to be lyrics in this. Uh-oh. I went to check the the length, yeah. and I was like, oh, we're not even three minutes? Like, yeah. this is going to be great. <laughs> You're like, we'll be okay. I this can do gonna this. This is going to be great. Yeah, like, don't hit me with, like, a Fish or a Dave Matthews band, no. like, 10-minute jam. Like, oh, you make me want to shoot myself in the face. Yeah, right. Can't do it. Okay, next track, number 10, Statues. Statues features Rami Jaffe on accordion. On accordion? Accordion. And a guy, uh, Brantley Kearns Jr. on the fiddle. So, initially, I did not recognize this as his voice. I was looking to see if it was a featured vocal or maybe even Taylor. The first oh my God. 10, 20 seconds, I'm like, who is this person? I don't know who this is. And then my next note was piano with an exclamation point. And I put, it's weird, but I like it. I wasn't expecting piano at all. I read oh a lot of comments that compared this to the Beatles. I hear it in some of the note choices in the arrangement, but I don't, I don't hear a lot of Beatles in this. Apparently, Dave has stated in interviews that he feels there's nothing more romantic than the headstones of a married couple standing next to one another. And honestly, I have to complete. And this is the other person saying, honestly, I have to completely agree with him. Uh, and he wrote the song about him and his wife. That's this commenter thinking, like quoting him and then also saying that um, little creepy for me. I don't know. If, I don't know if I agree with that. Um, and then from Dave himself, he says, people keep saying this sounds like Paul McCartney. That wasn't really intentional. This was just a simple melody with a piano track. I got a piano a year ago for my birthday and I had never played one before, which impressive. Um, he says, someone pointed out middle C to me and I took it from there. I was quite nervous to be putting it on the record because it's a big departure. And then I thought, what the fuck? And that's exactly why we should be putting it on the record. Uh, it sounds like that to me. It, it Yeah, it definitely sounds, again, another one that I'm like, why on any other album, I'd be like, why is this on here? But yes. it works. It works. Here. Mm-hmm. Um, my initial thoughts, uh, kind of Billy Joel. Oh. A, kind of Billy Joel-ish, like, almost like a little bit of, like, smooth commercial jazz. Uh, okay. Muzak. Like, in yeah. some way. Okay. In, in a weird way. Um, and the instrumental chorus melody uh, reminds me of Maggie Mae by Rod Stewart. It's just slowed down. Oh. I, and I don't know if it's if I'm thinking of the right Rod Stewart song. Okay. Um, it's the one that goes, na na na, I got something to say to you. Huh. I think that's Maggie Mae. I think it is. Okay. But it sounds like that, but slowed down. Like, I kept rewinding, and I was like, this is a Rod Stewart song. Oh. Interesting. Go back and listen to I it will. and tell me if I'm and I'm going to go back. I'm going to listen to that Rod Stewart song and make sure that's the one that I'm thinking. Sure, but I'm sure. pretty sure that it, that that is the one. I wouldn't be surprised. He seems to pull from a lot of different places. Yeah, I don't know. It works. I think it works on this album. I don't know if I would listen to this again unprompted. You know, yeah, there are things about it that you can appreciate. I don't know. Didn't love. Wasn't a favorite. 
All right, track 11, But Honestly. But Honestly, we've got Rami again on the keys. My first note is, I want to like this, but it takes too long to get to a point of interest for me. Again, similar to the previous couple of songs, when it does kick in, it's great. At this point, though, this is four or five songs where this happens. And I feel like it's a little bit overused at this point. The super long, slow beginning and then we're kicking in at the end. Although I will say the kick in at the end of this is really good. It's really, really good. Mm-hmm. Dave was quoted as saying from Foo Archive, this is another one that goes from acoustic to rock. It's a funny one because the tail end is actually something that's about 10 years old. I had this acoustic idea, but I didn't have an ending. I tacked on an old riff and it became this climactic explosion. Melodically and tempo wise, the song feels like something we might have done 10 years ago. It's almost like a retrospective. We can see how far we've come. And so in that way, because again, they're working with Gil Norton, we're referencing Color in the Shape, makes sense. But I kind of wish they had maybe like two songs tops where this happened. I think at this point, there's a song four where they're doing it and doesn't feel great and I actually don't really love the acoustic part I really it's it doesn't bring me in like an acoustic part normally would so I'm here for the ending of this song I guess is what I'm saying I'm shocked by how similar our notes are on this entire album (laughs) um dude again um I also didn't think this was gonna go anywhere and I was also pleasantly surprised at the end I like the way that this one built up and like when it got to the end, like the end was great, beautiful. I felt like it was like a, it kind of like came like a really, like a wave. Like it swelled up and it was really pretty. Mm. So I like that. I don't, I don't necessarily feel like it, it shouldn't be on here or that like they've done that too many times on this album. I think I, I like this one. I enjoyed it. I would have been good if we ended here. Oh, I felt like it was great. Okay. That being said. Mm-hmm. last track home home so this you actually just gave me some food for thought though because my first note here was i think it's a nice choice for a closer and i still stand by that however it could have been really cool to end with but honestly yeah because you got that big thing at the end anyway the rest of my notes yeah. for home were this whole album is obviously about variety and i think this song does embody that in a very weird way and this just came to me right this moment this makes me think about how Taylor Swift ended what, New Year? What is that called? Kate, we have the same note. This just happened right now. I didn't even write that down. That was my brain right yeah, now. Yeah, it was New Year. Yeah, it, I just put that together where it seems kind of weird, but also kind of nice and fitting. Um, yeah. This song is where the album's name comes from. He says, the echoes and silence, patience and grace, and all the moments I'll never replace. I thought that was really nice. And then from Foo Archive, Dave says, I wrote this at home on the piano, and then Taylor and I recorded a demo of it. I sat down and wrote lyrics in about 10 minutes, sang it once, listened to it, and I just felt overwhelmed by how revealing it was. It made me feel quite vulnerable, so much so that it's hard to listen to. I get really choked up thinking about all the time I spend away from things that are important to me. It's tough being away on tour. It's even tougher just to be talking about how much I wish I was with my family. It's the kind of song Mm. that I can't imagine singing live because it's going to be too much. So I don't have data on this, but it sounds like they don't do this one live or haven't, or it's a rarity. I wrote, in kind of a similar way to Taylor Swift, he ends with a slow one, in parentheses, New Year. Wow. People aren't going to believe this, but we don't look at each other's notes before we discuss. We don't. We don't do that We don't even have access to them. No. 
Wow. I I mean, I think it's beautiful, mm. and I, I love a beautiful acoustic number. It's, it's, you know, hence why I'm a huge Taylor Swift fan. I think sure. that she does that a lot. Sure. But I, I wish the album ended on But Honestly, because this felt like... This felt like the one that was the outlier. Oh. Well, you know, I was as you were saying that, I was thinking, but it is a good song. It is a good but song. But I don't... If we had moved it in the middle of the track listing, though, I don't know if it... I don't know if no. it would work. I don't think it would have worked, because this album was not... While the songs combined acoustic and electric, mm-hmm. this album, it wasn't in your honor. Like, it wasn't... Right an entire one of those and right. I felt like if, if this was in the middle it would have taken us out I think you're right I think you're right and like the end is and I think they knew that too so the end is the only place you can put it mm. and it's beautiful and why not end on this great acoustic song like this was just one that you could have saved for like B-sides Maybe, I don't know right B-sides or like the 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 deluxe version a Ooh. year later you know right. and when you put like three bonus tracks on it like put this on it but yeah I, I wish it ended at but honestly overall though this is my favorite album i think wow at this point this album was so good it was very good it was i mean i had seen them on this tour so i'm sure in 08 i had listened to the whole album a lot of the songs i felt like i was listening to for the first time i truly do think that when i went to go see foo on this tour I like most people I just wanted to hear the hits like I wanted to hear all the big ones like I wasn't as invested as a fan I kind of regret like not having this knowledge then which like how could I whatever Mm. I do have an appreciation for this album though I was thinking that if I had to pick a favorite album it's still going to be the color and the shape for me this might come second I still love the self-titled one but as songwriting in terms of what they can do this might be my second this is up there I have to figure out how I want to rank them because I really love There Is Nothing Left to Lose. Like, mm. that out of the earlier ones is my favorite. Even Like, Color and the Shape is like a masterpiece. Sure. But for some reason, like, it doesn't... It sounds too produced to me, and I like when they don't sound that produced. Okay. I just think, like, the rawness is a little bit more appealing. Sure. But there's something about the way that a bunch of genres and sounds and and... There's, like, strings and accordion and, like, all this Mm. crazy shit on this album, on all these songs that works, and it's still a rock record. Yeah. I just, I I think it's fucking kick-ass. I don't know how how they put that together, and it doesn't, like, usually you can tell when people are weaving together, like, different strings of sounds and it doesn't work. Like, somehow the through-thread through this entire album is there. Yeah. And I, I, I'm still not sure how they pulled it off. Because I think every song here could... You could probably fit it on a previous Foo album. Sure. If you took one track at a time, you could fit it on another one. But somehow, like, these all work together. And I just think that's really cool. Very cool. I totally agree with you. So what? what's your favorite and your underdog and your least favorite? All right. So it took a while. I'm going to be the basic bitch here. The Pretender's my favorite. Yeah. That's just where I love them the best, where they're being loud and kind of mouthy. I think it offers something different than their other most popular songs and that villain arc thing. I just love a good villain story. For me, it's like my fave. So I love that one. My underdog is Stranger Things Have Happened. Uh, It was close to being my first, but I, I... hadn't I'm not as familiar with it, but I really love that one. And I think I have to say my least favorite is Erase Replace. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. I'm also going to be a basic bitch. Okay. Um, 
My favorite is The Pretender. It's just so good. Obviously. It's so good. And when you have an opener that is good enough, like, that's it. Guys, I'm having a conversation here. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Bowser's like, you're a basic bench. He really is. Yeah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) My least favorite is going to be Home because I feel like it shouldn't be on this album. But it's not because it's a bad song. Right. Okay. Um, And my underdog is going to be the ballad of the Beaconsfield Miners because that song is fucking so good. Wow. It's a great underdog pick. And no lyrics. And I think it's great. Wow. Okay. I I stand with that. I stand with that. It's a good list. Yeah. Yeah. What album do we have next? I believe Waking Light is next. Oh my gosh, we're getting into modern times. We are, and I'm very excited because I know a lot of people love that album. This one got, like how you had mentioned, mostly positive, but I read a Pop Matters article about this album tearing it apart. I was shocked. So, so, okay, wait, it was, so they did Echo, Silence, Patience, and Grace in 2007, then they had a Greatest Hits in 2009. Okay. And then Wasting Light. Wasting, what I say, Waking Light? Wasting Light. Yeah. Wasting Light. Uh, so that was a lot of time, 2007 to 2011. So I wonder what we're going to uncover as to why that took a long time. Yeah, and why everyone loves it so much. Like, people love that one. So yeah, I, don't I know really if we're love going this back album. to old foo. I don't know if we're going in a new food direction. I don't know what happens there. When this one came out, I was like, oh, Foo Fighters. Oh, I'm going to listen to it. And I listened to it a few times. I don't remember anything off of it right now, but I same. definitely listened to it when yeah, it came out. Yeah, same. So we'll, we'll have to see. We'll get there. Yeah. Um, and I think Wasting Light is when they made 666. Ah. Uh, they just made Possibly. Yeah. You're not a guest on the podcast. <laughs> I mean, Nick we, is, we Nick is awake and he more, felt that he so had he to to add his two cents. All right. Well, this has been lovely. Lovely. Um, ooh, thanks, listeners. Yeah, thanks, the everybody. The five of you that listen yeah. to this Yeah, we, we love you so much. It's me listening to it for, for errors. You listening <laughs> me to too. it. Sean. Yeah. And my Aunt Jane. She's our biggest fan. She was very excited when we were coming back. Yeah, my Aunt Jane. She loves us. Uh, my friend Lindsay's husband, Matthias, is also listening. Oh, hey, dude. I tried to get him to be on, but he's like really, he's really, uh, just like he's a little quiet, a little more quiet, I think. He could do it. Even though like when you get him going, like he's a very chatty Cassie and he loves to gossip. And I know he's going to listen to this, so we're keeping this in. Oh my God, He loves to to spill tea and and sip tea. Um, Well, listen, we don't have guests for the last two, I think. You and I are doing Hail I've asked him. I've asked him already. Well, he's got time to think about it because we would love to have, we do tea all day long. Yeah, like, we could just have him on. I wonder if we could get him on to do the movie. Oh, that'd be great. Episode. That'd be really plant fun. Plant the seed. Plant, warm okay, him up. I'll plant warm the seed. Warm him up. I'll plant he'll, the he'll seed. He'll do it, yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> and I'm not sure where you can watch the movie, so let's try and figure that out, because I can watch it on Nick's uh, little yeah, fire TV I'll find thing. it. It's got to be somewhere. It was in the movies fairly recently, so, I mean, they want people to see it. It's got to be somewhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Awesome. All right. Well, have a great day. Thanks, you too. Bye. Bye. Big thanks to the band Above the Moon for writing and recording our theme song. 
You can find them on Instagram at Above the Moon Music or on their website, AboveTheMoonMusic.com. If you enjoyed listening, give us a follow or subscribe on your favorite platform. And if you really enjoyed listening, leave us a like, rate us, or review us so more people can find us. You can keep up with news about new episodes on Instagram at Minor Notes Podcast or email us, minornotespodcast at gmail.com. Minor Notes is a finally cool production. Next episode, we'll be discussing Foo Fighters' seventh studio album, Wasting Light, with Kate's brother and co-host of the Sweaty Dive podcast and musician, Kyle Griffin. Oh.